KIA, motherfucker. What you talking about, Willis? Take it, hack him! Yeah! Willie Mabel Sweat! Yeah! Say no to drugs and say yes to life. Now you're playing with power. Where's the beat? He was a little dog named Snuggles. I'm a party animal. I pity the fool. My choice, man. That's yeah, right, man. That's a conscious choice. Boy. Go downtown and have a rap. Gnaw that thing off your face. The Shapa, Sir Slumbank of Dirt. You believe in miracles? Yes! Fun counter guy, thanks for stopping by. Welcome to another installment of A Fluorescent Decade on a Hill, a 1980s look back series. On this episode, we're going to hear and share stories about working in the 1980s, the life lessons and the horrors both on farms and restaurants, grocery stores, and even at space camp. Everybody's working for the weekend. My first job was working at Ponderosa steakhouse and it was horrible <laughs> i hated it i was washing dishes busting tables and everything and i remember i hadn't done the job hardly any time the manager comes back to him and he's like i want you to go mop the front the front entrance like as soon as you come in you know how you walk in there most restaurants there's like a little breezeway and there's the ceramic tile or whatever there and he said i want you to go mop that and put out a wet floor sign being 15 and not really knowing he meant for me to go outside around the building and go out front well what did i do <laughs> Go through the dining room. I walked straight through the dining room, and I remember <laughs> slapping this guy, and I had this wet mop, and I'm just walking through the dining room. There's this guy sitting there eating. I remember I just <laughs> smacked, just like smacked him on the arm with this wet, nasty mop. And I remember oh. the manager's like, Derek, get back here now! <laughs> Uh, my first job was at uh, at uh, Kramer's Egg. Kramer's Egg, they do hard-boiled eggs now, and I don't think they still do this, but at the time I was working there, they also packaged chickens. Uh, what my job was was to take the gizzards and the little package of the gizzards and hearts and just the parts of the chicken, and uh, my job was to, as the chicken come down the assembly line, I would have to spread its legs and take the pouch and stick it in the chicken <laughs> after about two weeks uh, I had enough of the chickens and, and I, because the, the smell would just be so unbelievably horrible by the time I got home mm-hmm. and, and it would just be it would be like in my skin and on my clothes I had to keep throwing away clothes because mom just couldn't get the, get the smell out wow. oh, I, So one thing at Bombs we used to like to do was we well everybody had a box cutter to open up boxes. So yes, mine I had written a name on it, the Deaf Dealer. Oh gosh! <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, but we would uh, take your uh, the razor blades and if you put a little slit in the guy's can, so somebody left the coke out, 
<laughs> and so you take that slit and you and you would slit the bottom of that. And so that guy starts pouring a drink back and just start dribbling. Or the other thing that some people did was they'd bought some Tabasco sauce and they'd wait till the person's drink was about gone. And so you knew they were going to chug it. So you poured hot sauce down <laughs> in the bottom of that in the bottom of their Coke can to get that. And the other fun thing I always remembered about there, I always loved it when the um, you'd always check the juices and all the things in the cooler. So when it got close to the expiration date, of course it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it was, it was like you'd hit the jackpot then, you know, a 64-ounce bottle of juice <laughs> was all yours because it was just going to, you just had to mark it and send it back. They weren't going to do anything with it. So, man, when the juices expired or when the freezers went down and you had to throw ice cream away, that was yeah. that was a bonanza. And then the other thing, I always loved throwing away the fluorescent light bulbs. We'd throw those out at the dumpster and you'd throw those in make the loudest noise and all that nice fluorescent gas is going up in the air so couldn't have been very good for you so my very first job besides doing chores for mom and dad was dad found out that there was a farmer who needed help and he was hiring anybody to come. What I remember was, I guess the combine doesn't get everything, all the corn. And so they needed people to come by and pick up the stuff that it didn't get. They paid in cash. And they, you basically just show up at like 5.30 or 6 in the morning and you go to work. And there's a bunch of other people out there too. And the first thing that's an eye-opener to me is the guys that I'm working with, they're most of them are older. There's a few my age, maybe, but they're pretty rough. Like they're already swapping stories about what it's like to be in Warwick County Jail, and uh, of course they use bad language and all that kind of stuff. They kept talking about the farmer's daughter, how hot she was. How old were you? Maybe fourteen. Anyway, they kept talking about the, how hot the farmer's daughter was, and at first I believed it because. There's all kinds of running jokes and stories about the farmer's daughter. And all over rural America, the farmer's daughter is always portrayed as, you know, she's well-fed, so she's voluptuous, and she's cold at night and wants, you know, a boy to be warm with. Really? <laughs> well, these are the stories you hear. And so one of these guys said, yeah, he, uh, she really has it bad for uh, Tim, supposedly. And, uh, of course, I don't know what to, how to react because I'm... Not confident, and uh, I don't know quite whether to believe it or not. Well, they keep talking about it, so I'm starting to think it might be true. Well, at some point, she shows up to bring her dad something because he's he, he's out there with us, and uh, she's well fed. But so that would end up being a lie. Uh, another thing that it <laughs> another thing uh, these guys you know they're just bored, and one of them got in their head it would be fun to throw a a cob of corn at me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first it might have like, hit my leg. It kind of hurt a little bit. They did it again. I kind of joked around. Hey, okay, guys, stop. They kept doing it. So I think I threw one back and hit this guy right in the face. And wow. I got in trouble with the farmer because the guy squealed on me. And this farm wasn't an ordinary farm. It was also a pig farm. Have you ever been to a pig farm? No, I've never. It smells awful. It Obviously, it smells like pigs. And they mostly smell like poop. The day that I was there, even though it was in the fall, it was still hot. And so, have you ever smelled uh, cooking feces? No. 
Don't you must cross. <laughs> well, that's how it smelled. And in fact, there was times in the summer that the whole town smelled like that farm because it just wafted over Boonville. Wow. So you managed to work there and not puke or... <laughs> a little nauseous, but, you know, you're a kid and you're more resilient and you're thinking about that money you're going to make. And I should go back... Part of the deal was we get paid, I don't remember what the actual pay was, but it was more than minimum wage, and uh, it was in cash, and the other part of the deal was we got fed. Okay, that's L- good. Lunchtime, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, lunchtime rolls around, and we go up to the farmhouse, and they got this big pot of hot, spicy chili, and it's pretty hot outside, so we're already not feeling well, a little, a little nauseous from the heat. So I barely ate any of it. And I wonder if that was the point. They didn't really want to feed us, you know. It was a rough day. I mean, besides being persecuted by my co-workers uh, slash uh, fellow inmates. But also, you know, if you've worked in a cornfield before, there's a little bug sometimes that can get under your clothes and bite you. And then the corn leaves, or whatever you call them, they're real they sharp. They, yeah, they make you itch. And you end up with about a thousand paper cuts by the oh, time yeah. the thing is over. And in the end, when the farmer went to pay us, he gave me a little stack of cash. You know how I'm very trusting and usually just don't think things through. But for some reason, I decided to count it. And it was short. How much? Like five bucks. But that was a lot for me. Yeah. I went back to the farmer. I said, uh, hey, this isn't right. And he recounted it. He says, oh, I'm sorry. You know, bad math. I went to Boonville High School, you know. (laughs) I'm so pleased you went back. But I think I was so frustrated by the time this day was over. Anyway, Dad came and picked me up, and I got in the car, and Dad says, so how was it? I said, it was terrible, Dad, and I told him all the reason why it was terrible. And his answer to me was, well, go to college. Okay, so uh, when I was 14 years old, I'm a freshman in high school. Um, my parents said, hey, in two years, you're going to be 16 and you're welcome to drive the family car, but you're going to need to pay your own insurance. You're going to have to pay for gas. So I'm, I'm thinking ahead. I go, well, I want to drive a lot. So I go get a job. Now, minimum wage back then was 310. How old was you? I, I was 14. So I had to get a special special permission from the guidance counselor at my school. And uh-huh. I had good grades, so it wasn't a problem. You just go get a little form letter signed that okay. you can go work. And I worked at this place called Tasty Dog. And I love this place. This place really taught me uh, the value of hard work, and um, I really began to equate work equals money. Describe Tasty Dog. Okay, Tasty Dog. Um, If you're not from Chicago, you're probably not going to understand this. We would call it a hot dog joint because, of course, they serve hot dogs there, Chicago-style hot dogs. But also Italian beef, Italian sausage, hamburgers, sub sandwiches, tamales, fries, pizza puffs. So it wasn't like a little shack. It was a full-on restaurant. Yeah, full-on restaurant. And in fact... Also inside was this place called Wizards Ice Cream. They were ripping off Dairy Queen Blizzards. Uh-huh. But it was way better than Dairy Queen Blizzards because it had the tub ice cream like Baskin-Robbins did. Mm-hmm. And you scooped it into this machine. And then, you know, if you wanted uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I literally opened up a package of peanut butter cups, threw them in the machine too, and it was like this big drill press coming down. Mm-hmm. Mixed it all in and shot it into these homemade cones that we made. So this place was really cool. And uh-huh. it was it was good food. But anyway, back to... Uh, what I learned from Tasty Dog, they had this big chart. As soon as you got a job there, they had a big chart on the manager's door, and it was called the certification chart. 
and your name would get added to it. And there might have been something like 14 or 18 certifications. In order to get certified on one of those things, you had to take a written test and then you had to successfully perform whatever those duties were during what they called a rush hour three times. So to get certified on the cash register, uh, you had to pass a written test and then three times work the cash register in a rush hour. And you got to understand at Tasty Dog, and again, this is a big restaurant, let's say uh, Tuesday starting at about 11.45 and not ending till about 2, there'd be a line all the way out the door uh, for this place. You couldn't find a place to sit in there. Um, it was a super popular place mm-hmm. and we're spitting out the hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff really quickly so it was stressful to 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 be that quick but anyway every certification came with like a 10 cent or 25 cent an hour raise and then um like every fourth one or every fifth one came with a bigger raise you know like 40 cents or something something like that and once you completed the chart you were promoted to shift manager well all my friends are working at these other fast food joints or the gap or whatever some dumb crap like that making 310 an hour and i'm looking at this chart and i'm doing the math i'm going Crap! If I fill out this chart, I'll be making five seventy-five an hour, and I'll be a manager in a place. You'd be fourteen years old. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I just said, "Heck with it, man! What do you got to do? I'm studying mm-hmm. for these written tests, and every time uh, I pass a written test, I go, uh, which shift can you put me on so I can start working this thing?'" So before I was fifteen, I completed the chart and was a shift manager um, at this restaurant. And again, I I feel like I am where I am today, which I'm an owner of two small businesses. I I earn a really good living. And and you make a delicious hot dog. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Do you want to sample my wiener? (laughs) Anyway, I attribute a lot of that to what I learned from the family that owned this chain. And so the the family mentored you a little bit. Yeah. I mean, not even on purpose. Just This is just how they mentored everybody that was willing to come through there. And most people weren't that ambitious they were kids and like i'll just show up to my shift and work or whatever but i saw opportunity Mm -hmm. and it was great to rub in my friend's face that i could make in one hour what was taking them almost two hours uh to earn and then i had some authority and whatever and another interesting story uh about this place is i am presently conversationally fluent in spanish Mm -hmm. so i when i come here to orlando and i got to take an uber and the uber driver doesn't speak any english it's no problem right and when you want to say stuff that your family doesn't want. Does, oh, the, like in the Jeep last time? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you know, I, I have Spanish kids on my bus. But go ahead. So you understood all that stuff. Some I of it, yeah. Your sister yesterday. Yeah. Anyway, I am conversationally fluent. I had only uh, two years of Spanish in high school. But the Tasty Dog, where I worked, hired um, an illegal immigrant mm-hmm. um, from Mexico who didn't speak any English. And I was the only person in the whole place that spoke even three words of Spanish. So they always put Victor on my shift. Whatever shift I was managing, Victor was on too. And uh, by the end of my four years, I guess three years working with Victor, I could speak the language functionally. So you didn't speak much when you started with him? Almost none. I mean, I had a little, I had vocabulary words, right? right? Because that's what you learn. So in essence, he taught you Spanish and and you taught him English? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what's great is everybody knows this. The first things you learn in any foreign language is how to swear and how to order beer right <laughs> so we we taught each so other yeah right we, we taught each other all the swear words right. we taught each other how to say beer and then uh we had to learn things like here clean the floor clean the bathroom that girl is hot right or, right you know whatever <laughs> 
job was working at Drellers. Wow, that's a legendary place now because yeah, there's no only kidding. one left, you know. Campbellsville, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been. And for folks listening that weren't from the Mid-South, it was a, just another burger joint. But instead of Ronald McDonald or Burger King mascot, they had this guy, uh, Andy Dandy Tail. Yep. Kind I of, wore the costume once or twice. Uh, did you? Oh, <laughs> uh, when you worked there? Yeah. Oh, wow. Kind of a Huck Finn-like character, I guess. So. Yeah. I remember the Boonville one, they had like a display, I guess since we're a coal mining county, and they had like a bunch of coal, and they had like maybe like a like an old-timey cart. I think they eventually replaced it with a salad bar. That salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one I ever remember, ever, like where you could eat all you wanted. I, I couldn't believe it. Even though it was lettuce and stuff I didn't like as a kid, but I, I just couldn't believe you could eat as much as you wanted. Here's some gross things about okay. the salad bar. Oh, boy. Okay, so, like, we would make burgers, and we had to have, like, two of each kind of burger up at all times, pretty much, during the busy times. Once they'd been up for, it was either 10 minutes or 15 minutes, they had to come off, and you had to put fresh ones up. Well, you would break it down, you would take the bun off, throw it away, and they saved the hamburger from anything that, that was, you know, too old to stay up there. And then it went back in the refrigerator, and they ground it up and used it in... Tuesday night with taco night, maybe. <laughs> so the hamburgers that got come off, got ground off, was used on the salad bar for taco night. Then that was saved, and I think there was another night that was, Friday night was spaghetti or something, uh-huh. and it went in the spaghetti. <laughs> so it was like third time around by the time it made it to the spaghetti sauce. So that was your first job? Yeah, that was my first job. Other than, like, I worked in a cornfield, like the tasseling corn when yeah. I was, like, 14. I think most of us did. Right. I was still on Druthers. Kevin Henderson was... Uh, He'd done something and kind of like ticked me off and he was leaving because he was younger than I was. So I had to stay and finish everything and he got to leave and he walked out the back door and I'd grabbed one of those coleslaws that were already pre-made and I chucked it at him and it was a perfect throw. Hit him in the back of the head and like exploded. (laughs) Then I ran back and locked the door, but they hadn't locked the front doors yet and he got back in the building and it turned out to a about a five-minute all-out brawl between me and him, throwing every every kind of food we could imagine at each other. What was your manager? Uh, she was in the back, and when she came out, he still got to leave, and I got to clean it all up. <laughs> <laughs> About the only job I had in high school is one summer for maybe about two months. Our Spanish teacher at school, she had just bought this land. She wanted it all cleared off, and she wanted to get horses. Now, wasn't the land pretty rough? Because I, I worked out there also. Yeah, very. And I think it, it was former, like, mining, strip mining yeah. area. So you got rocks all pulled up, and it's all at an angle. and Like, her front yard sloped down, like, very steeply. And once we had cleared off all the brush, what happened was it would start raining, the mud just slid down the thing. Yeah, she didn't have a degree in engineering. Right. Right. So she had us out there digging ditches parallel with the, the slope so the water would go in the trenches and not, you know, slide down the hill and whatever. And I just remember my dad, would, I didn't have a license at the time. I think I was like 15. And my dad would drive me out there and he was like, you know, he was Mr. Handyman. He was like, trying to like help her out it's like hey this is what you should do you know to keep this from happening and she just wasn't having any any of it she was like well you know i hired this you know engineer guy or whatever and he said do this and this and he's like whatever it's obviously not working is it <laughs> wow and I, I remember she had these two dalmatian dogs oh yeah 
and they were both boys. <laughs> and it was like an older dog, maybe it was like one, one and a half. And then there's this other dog was probably about half the age of it. Well, <laughs> the younger dog um, kind of had its way with the older <laughs> dog. And we are just like, me and another guy, it was Judd, uh-huh. was out there working. And they were both in the in a pen. And we look over and they were, you know, doing their thing. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, Judd goes, yeah, that's like the second time I've caught him. <laughs> and then Miss Hines comes out there and catches them. And she just, like, throws a fit. She's just like, you know, stop that, you know, starts yelling at them and stuff. And And there was another time, I don't know, I'm sure you've probably worked in fast food at some Uh point in your life. Sure. But you know how you change the Coke? It was like the, talking about the The cardboard boxes? Yeah, it had like a big bag inside of it. Yes, yes. Well, this was on a Sunday, the busiest of all days. And I'm like, Derek, we need you to go out and change the Coke or Diet Coke, whatever. So I went out and changed it and had my apron on and in the front, you know. And uh, I go out and I, and I mean, there's literally a crowd of people and they're standing around waiting for this for me to refill refill the Coke. And uh, I remember I reached down and my pants ripped straight out the back. And I was I pulled down, I was like, hang on just a minute. <laughs> and they just ripped straight out the back. Of course, I had to turn my apron around backwards and say, man, somebody else is going to go do it. My, my pants just ripped. Did the people see it? Yeah, they saw it. They laughed. <laughs> I would have too. And one day, literally, we were just like overwhelmed with customers, just so busy. They they told me, the management told me, they said, uh, go, said, you need, said, we're so busy, said, stand and watch for any um, tables that have plates on them because we've got people waiting on tables. So I go and um, I'm, I'm standing there, you know, waiting, just ready to pounce on a table and unload the dishes. And I see this one. I'm like, oh, there's one. So, so I go over and I empty all this food into the, you know, the bus tray or whatever, busing, whatever it's called, yeah. container. As I'm getting the last piece of, a uh, last piece of silverware or whatever off the table, the guy had just went up to the bar to get him a drink. He literally just got there and got all of his food. And he sits down, and I had literally just thrown all of his food away. And of course, he gets the manager, and I get screamed at. And But I think everybody needs to learn from that kind of stuff. When you're a kid, you know, it helps you learn the public. And Ponderosa is the first place I remember that had free refills. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why our family went there. If we ever went out mm-hmm. to eat, that would be one place. Right. Because that was unheard of. Oh, you yeah. Had, you had to keep paying for it. Yes, you did. I tell you what, something was so funny about it. And of course, there was other restaurants like that. I'm sh- like this, I'm sure. But it was so funny they have a smoking section. Mm-hmm. But what was so silly about it is like, okay, like here's the big row of bo- booths right here, uh-huh. and then here's the big row of booths right here, and there'd be a rope. <laughs> and here's <laughs> the smoking the, section. Yeah, to keep the smoke out. Yeah, and right. here's the smoking section right next to the <laughs> booths right here. But over here you can smoke, but over here you can't smoke, <laughs> even though the smoke right here is rolling over to the people right next to you. <laughs> At my church, there was an older guy that I think worked or maybe owned a janitorial service. So if a business needed a janitor, it was kind of a contract thing. They would send someone out. And so he asked, did I need a job? And I said, sure. And so 
the place I got assigned, I want to say it was Kenny Kent or one of these kind of um, car lot places up in Evansville. But it was an overnight thing. So I would get there as everybody was going home. First of all, there was a, an office where all these women worked together. I don't know if I had made them mad somehow. Whatever the case was, they had it out for me. And so they would set traps to see if I would clean everything and then report to my boss that I didn't. So I remember one thing they told my boss that they had put a paper clip behind one of the gal's desk and it sat there for a week before I finally picked it up. <laughs> wow, they were really out to get you. So I ended up finding a dirty magazine in the women's restroom. It was of guys, naked guys. And I called my boss and said, I found this stuck behind the toilet. What am I supposed to do with it? <laughs> and he says, throw it away. Well, that made the women really mad. Then they started doing stuff that was just cruel. So, for example, we had a little trash can in the women's restroom next to the toilets to put their sanitary napkins, their women things. And so I had to clean that out, of course. Well, they would deliberately stick them in the toilet and it would get clogged up. And so I had to reach down in there to pull those things out. And wow, they were so they were mean. Right. But the the most interesting thing was I was there all night by myself for the most part. But maybe once a week, this guy would show up to wax the floors. And this guy seemed like he might be living on the edge of life. He was real strange. Whenever we'd take our lunch break together in the lunchroom, he'd always talk about, oh, I can't wait to get home, drink cold beers, light a cigarette, take off of my clothes, and watch some TV. He kept saying that. Mm -hmm. I just thought everything seemed okay up to the point about taking his clothes off. And he said this all the time. And one time he invited me over. To his house? Yeah, yeah. And I, so that's when the... you were going to take off your clothes <laughs> together and watch TV? <laughs> <laughs> But as slow as I was, I started to pick up what he was putting down. And oh, yeah. Another thing he did was, I'm not sure who was doing it, but maybe one of the employees was trying to raise money for like their kid was selling candy or crackers or something. And so they had this box with all the, the food in it, like little Debbie cakes and peanuts. And it was by the honor system. So whatever you got, you just put money in this little jar. And so every once in a while, I would buy something and put the money in the jar. And this same guy said, why do you do that? I was like, do what? He said, why do you put the money in there? They'll never know. I was like, he wasn't honest. No, not at all. And he would eat out of that all the time and never put money in there. And then he would spill the kind of leftist rhetoric. He'd say, you know, they're making money hand over fist over us, you know. They don't cost them nothing but a nickel, and we're paying 35 cents for it. They're ripping us off, you know, that kind of mentality. I've never seen an adult steal before. Blew my mind. And the last thing about him, this one night he came to wax the floors. It was time for lunch, and uh, I went to the lunchroom, and he wasn't there. And I didn't see him the rest of the night. And this is a big complex, so you could at least hear him doing something maybe way off in the distance, but we don't necessarily have to run into each other all the time. So I didn't see him for the rest of the night, and I go home. And I go to bed, and the phone rings, and it's the my janitor boss. He says, hey, Tim, uh, have you seen Joe Blow? We'll, we'll say his name was. Did you see Joe Blow last night? I said, yeah, but he disappeared before lunchtime, so I don't know where he went. I said, is everything okay? He says, well, I'll tell you later. Well, come to find out, he had waxed the floor with hot wax, you know, but he had put the mats back on the floor before they dried up 
And so they ended up embedding these mats into the floor. And it was like a serious, like thousands of dollars that it was going to take to get those things out of there. Like someone's going to have to chisel them out or something. I think he realized what he had done and just like, oh, I quit. Okay, so he left early because of that. Yeah, I guess he went home, took off all his clothes. <laughs> and waited for Tim to come home, join him and take off your clothes. No, he's still waiting. <laughs> when I told my dad about this guy who wanted to get naked with me and uh, how it was making me feel uncomfortable... <laughs> And his response was, go to college. My second job was uh, working at Mr. Gaddy's Pizza. That was uh, an incredibly fun job to have. The people that I worked with, I mean, we all hung out and we had, we had fun together and, and uh, I got to eat pizza. And, uh, you can play Galaga, I think, right? Galaga, all, all kinds of Miss Pac-Man. They, they also used, used to serve alcohol there, but uh, after they realized that, uh, they were losing a lot of profits and, and <laughs> because of the many things that went on afterward. After hours there, they, they stopped serving alcohol. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. <laughs> but the worst part would be on a Saturday night, we would close at 12 o'clock, and the 4-H would host square dancing for uh, the senior citizens. So about 11.30, and, and, and keep in mind, we're, we're young, we're, we're trying to get out, to go see our buddies, so we're trying to get everything cleaned up, but when the square dancers came in, there there would be a boatload of them. They'd all be dressed in their outfits and, and just hooting, hollering, having, having, you know, having a good time, and and they would come in and just make one heck of a mess. I really? Mean, yeah, there would just be <laughs> stuff everywhere. Those, those old be, people knew how to party. They were, <laughs> they were promenading with the breadsticks and the cheese pizza. And, <laughs> Lastly, Chico Perriman tells all about his adventures as an employee of Space Camp in Huntsville, Alabama. So back in 1989, uh, you were actually in a for real space camp. Yeah, I was in Space Camp Space Academy in Huntsville, Alabama. Now, kids from the 80s might remember there was a movie called Space Camp. And, of course, the plot was that these kids are at a space camp. They're in a real space shuttle and it accidentally launches, and now they're in space and they have to get back. <laughs> it's not a very good film, but what were some of the highlights of working there? You had astronaut ice cream every day? <laughs> well, the kids did. <laughs> I'll tell you what was interesting about it. Uh, I was uh, studying psychology in school, and I had an emphasis on children, and it was children with behavioral issues whether they were kids who just had aggression and 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 maybe uh, oppositional defiance or kids who had some disabilities where they had behavior issues so when I went to space camp I kind of had that little edge uh, I think it's why I progress I progressed uh, pretty quickly I got moved to something called a wing commander I was just a space camp counselor and then I got moved up I think after a year 
to a position called Wing Commander, uh, which is like I was over a group of counselors that led a group of kids around. So you didn't necessarily have to know anything about astrophysics to have this job? Well, you do. When we get trained, you they walk us through the museum, the space camp, the Space Museum at the Rocket Center and teach us. We also had to go take tours at the uh, Marshall Space Flight Center and they took us through tours and told us about the Gemini and Apollo 13 and just and so you had to learn all that stuff. You had to study it and learn so that when people visit the museum or you were showing people around you could tell them. Huntsville, Alabama. Why was there a space program there? Because Huntsville is a big uh, space. It's a big part of the national space program because the Marshall Space Flight Center uh, is there. And, and Werner von Braun uh, made the first, uh, he was one of the people who was involved in making the first booster rockets. And he, and, and he actually worked there. There is a NASA branch there in uh, Huntsville. We had to get NASA clearance. Also, so that was very cool. Like background checks and stuff? Yeah, yeah, and to get a badge. You had to have a NASA badge to get onto the base. Did the chicks dig your badge? Oh, yeah. Lots of people were very impressed, uh-huh. you know, if you wanted to really, you know, if you wanted to be impressive, yeah. you would you would have on your NASA badge, you know, with your... We had to wear flight suits while we were on campus at the... Uh, because it's kind of like a park. It's mm-hmm. sort of a theme park. Uh, except it was more of an educational park because mm-hmm. the stuff there is all real and mm-hmm. and the stuff we're talking about is real. It wasn't virtual stuff. And we talk about technology and stuff and you walking people through the museum and things like that. And if people are going to ask you questions, are you going to be representing Space Camp, Space Academy? You had to be dressed in the uh, right mm-hmm. clothing. In the summertime, we'd have specialized camps. We'd have like Japanese camp or Korean camp. Oh, okay or something like that. And then those would be all kids from the same country. But that was always neat. Mm-hmm. So it was an international outreach kind of effort, and they'd come to space camp, and we'd take them through. And, uh, there were famous people whose kids came through, and famous people who came to... Um, when I was a assistant program supervisor, ACDC came to really? space camp. <laughs> wow. I can see Angus Young in his little schoolboy outfit. Yeah. And they, we had to... They had to close the uh, training center floor so that they could go on the floor and, and ride stuff. And they did a concert the night before, so they came in kind of hungover. And <laughs> they were dragging in, and they looked sort of dirty and greasy. <laughs> Remember one of the guys who worked under me, he was running around, and he was like, everybody wants autographs, uh-huh. and they want to come on the training center floor. And I said, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't have you guys doing that. He says, can I go get everyone's clipboard so that they could sign it? And I said, yeah. I said, but, you, you know, I gave him a amount. I said, yeah, you got 10 minutes to collect, collect those clipboards and get back here because these guys are, you know, they're still guests. And so he runs off and he gets a pile of clipboards and comes back. And he's got them ready for ACD to sign them. And so he's, and they're just, they were gracious. They were like taking them, grabbing them, and signing really fast uh-huh. inside everybody's clipboard. So there's few people around, you know, around Huntsville or wherever they are now with these clipboards signed with a black marker that ACDC signed. Uh-huh. 
But he tried to grab mine to let him sign it. And I, really? And I wouldn't let him. Man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him because they looked so dirty. <laughs> Just, Man. I mean, he was like, hey, and he grabbed it. And I, I, I hope I didn't offend them, but they were like looking at me because... He tried to grab it, and I, I withheld it. It was just a, it was just an impulse reaction. I was like, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, um, that's the kind of band that would write like a really stupid song, but probably a good rocking song about like you know, you know, rocket booster or, or you know, something about their missiles yeah. or whatever. So I flipped uh, Lionel Hampton, the, the jazz, guy? jazz guy, around. You flipped him around? Oh. <laughs> the, yeah, I did. In the multi-axis chair. <laughs> he was actually kind of old there, uh-huh. then. And he was like, whoa! <laughs> but he loved it. Uh-huh. But um, this thing goes around. It just, I don't know if you know about the multi-axis chair. But it's supposed to teach what it means to be disoriented right, in space, right. and so it's. A, I think it, we've all seen it on. Yeah, TV it's got these two giant rings, mm-hmm. and the chair is right in the middle, and mm-hmm. it can just literally, it, it can really twist and turn and toss you in any direction, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to simulate being uh, disoriented and trying to. Uh, one of the project, one of the projects that the kids did in the chair was to try to do some sort of EPA, do some task while they're flipping around all directions. That's like a big attraction at space camp. People uh-huh. want to come and see it. They want to get on it. Uh-huh. And so he got on it, and I was the one because I have my position to toss him around, and you know because of liability stuff. Uh-huh. So I tossed Lyle Hampton around. <laughs> <laughs> And I used to uh, sing, and um, I used to do the national anthem every Friday during graduation. There was a camp graduation that happened every Friday when camp was in session. That's a difficult song to sing. Yeah, the acapella. Um, once I was singing it, and I finished, and I would always uh, stand like right at the corner, right towards the front where the whole ceremony was going to be. I would sing, and then I would walk straight back to the back of the aisles and stand and watch the graduation while all the kids who went through space camp that week get their little space camp stuff and uh, and their little badge and everything that says you did well at space camp on your mission. Mm-hmm. And so I was standing back there one, one day, and uh, there was a tall guy standing beside me. He said, he said my name. He said, Chico, nice job. Mm-hmm. And I looked up at him, and I said, thanks. He goes, do you do this every week? And and I said, yeah, it's kind of like kind of like one of my jobs here. And then and and I just answered his questions and you know being a a, a space camp host talking to what I knew was somebody's parent. Mm-hmm. And I went back to wasn't trying to engage or anything. And and then finally he like the third thing he said to me he goes hi he goes he goes I just want to my name is Graham Nash. And I said, oh. Wow. And so it was Graham Nash standing there talking to me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm trying to watch uh, graduation. Right. You know, but that was cool. Probably, I think Anita Baker's child was really one, uh, one session. We used to get a lot of political figures, kids, senators, children, and things mm-hmm. like that. 
Every time I think about Ashton Island ice cream, I, I mean, kids loved it. It tastes like sweet foam that melts mm-hmm. in your mouth pretty fast. I don't know if you've had it. Yeah, I went to the, I didn't go to Space Camp, but we went to the Huntsville Museum when we were kids, yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the highlights. The other highlight, Dad had stuck us up, me and my sisters up in a rocket, the end of it, and was going to take our picture sitting on the end of this rocket. And I put my hand back, and it went into this goo. And I was like, Space goo, awesome. Because you know, I think the rocket had been used, or I don't know, that's what they told us. And I told him, Dad, I said, Dad, there's some space goo on here. He looked, he's like, it's chewing gum. <laughs> oh, space goo. <laughs> the thing that sticks out in my mind, besides all the kids just loving it, and, you know, kids are kids, and so mm-hmm. they would have it all over their face just like regular ice cream, which was always so amazing to me because I think, this doesn't even melt. How is it all over your face? <laughs> This is yeah. just a block of something. But it did melt pretty quick, uh-huh. and so I guess they, they could, but it would be all over their face. And we were doing Puerto Rican camp this particular session. And one of the things that happens at the camp is the team that wins, di- different tasks, and the team that that do their mission, you know, they score the best on their mission, got to have lunch with one of the administrators, and I was an administrator. And, and that means that I would bring special things to to give to them at the lunch, like space ice cream and things like that. And that was additional to their regular lunch. Kind of a little reward to say, you did good on your mission. Well, this particular Puerto Rican group, they did well on their mission. Having these lunches as a part of your your responsibility sometimes was kind of brutal because the kids were all trying to sit by you and, you know, kids are kids. And so it was just all this stuff going on. And so... So you get like, okay, you get your box of space ice cream, you head down to the cafeteria. (laughs) You get ready to pass out the space ice cream and congratulate the fam and a good mission. And so I go down and I pass out the space ice cream and I have my seat and I sit down and we're eating and the kids are talking. They're all trying to talk at the same time and they're digging in that space ice cream. So I was sitting beside this one kid and he was adorable. He had like one of his baby teeth or his little kid teeth missing and he had space ice cream literally all over his face (laughs) i'm talking like on the end of his nose even but he didn't know that his face was covered and uh and and i told him when i was sitting there and he looked at me and he was trying to talk to me and he was talking to me with his mouth open and this chocolate goose stuff was just kind of you know leaving strands of of leaving strings of uh Goo and you know, and he's talking to me, and his mouth is all gooey, and I'm looking at him, and I'm all distracted. And so, it was like stalactites yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and he's talking, and he's laughing, and he's just loving it. And I say, You got I said, wipe, wipe a little something nose. right there. Yeah, wipe your, wipe, wipe your nose, and you know, because your, your face is, you got ice cream all over your face. So he takes his napkin and wipes more on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just like, Okay, so, uh, he started talking to me, and he, he said, uh, Mr. Perryman, he had a strong accent. He said, uh, did you go to the University of Alabama here? Because they go to the University of Alabama to do uh, water activities for weightlessness. Mm-hmm. And so I told him I did not go to the University of Alabama. I went to the, univer- the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. We were talking about all this. Long story short, uh, and that's important because he, you know, we were talking about college. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I followed up with, you know, 
do really good in college and get your education because that's the way you can become an astronaut or you can join the Air Force or you can be a part of NASA. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling him, I'm going to tell him about math and science, all the things you really need to tell a kid who's excited about the program. But there was like a pause and he looks at me and he says, my sister, she go to jail. And so that was really awkward for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking in my mind, how, what, how do I respond to this? Mm-hmm. And so um, I was thinking, I said, uh, that's not quite the same thing. I said, you know, and, and I, I felt so awkward and I felt sad uh-huh. and all of this stuff. But it turns out it was me because right after that, because I didn't respond, I just felt uncomfortable. I just started eating because I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and then he said, she's been there for four years. And then I was sitting there eating and I realized what he just said. He said, jeers, jail. So what was he saying? Uh, My sister Yale. went to Yale. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That went over my head too. Yeah, it did. <laughs> so I was so relieved <laughs> that it was Yale, not jail. <laughs> well, this same kid, and all this is going on, he's got this ice cream, yeah. all this face ice cream all over his face. He says, um, he said, you want to see my sister? Mm-hmm. He, and I said, your sister goes to Yale. He goes, no, I have a new little sister. Uh-huh. That's the way he said it. Uh-huh. And so he pulls his little wallet out. Uh-huh. He had bought one of those little space Plus. camp wallets. <laughs> uh, and he, so it was probably a reason to show the wallet. And so uh-huh. I was like, oh, wow, cool. That's a nice wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I get one of those? <laughs> yeah. And so he raided the, the gift shop. And so, so he pulls this picture out. It is a picture of a little girl. Now I'm going to say I love children mm-hmm. and there's beauty in all of them. But this was the most silliest, like ridiculous, weird looking picture of a kid. She was probably one year old maybe. And her hair was sticking straight up on her head. Literally. And it was jet black. And I'm talking, it was bizarre. And she had her mouth wide open. And she had like maybe two teeth. And it was not an attractive, but she was a baby. And so it was not an attractive picture. And it was shockingly bizarre. Uh, It wasn't like, oh, that kid's not that cute. This was like, oh my God. It was like an assault on the senses. (laughs) Yeah, and so he showed me the picture. And I go, oh, she is... Really cute. He goes, no, she's not. She looked like a monster. <laughs> I fell out laughing. <laughs> it's just the honesty. So it was exactly what I was thinking. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main engine start. We have... So also in your time at space camp, you end up meeting some for real astronauts, right? Yeah. I met Buzz Aldrin. I met Alan Bean. I met Alan Shepard, took pictures with him. And I met Jack Schmidt. met Neil Armstrong. Now these guys, obviously they're not at the camp to see the sights. I mean, they've lived it. So are they there as special guests on occasion? Or? Yeah, they all did like little talks. The presentation was one where they we would do the moonwalk. I would reenact. And this is the way it was choreographed. Once we planted the flag on the moonscape, which looked like a you know real moon, plant the flag, 
we climb back on the lunar lander. When we go up, as the door is closing, fireworks would go off behind the lunar lander and the seven original astronauts would be lifted up uh, on this riser thing and then the lights would hit them and the fireworks would be going off. This is the real guys. Yeah, oh, wow. the real guys. So it was really a big deal. I actually modeled for Alan Bean. <clears throat> He's a painter. We were posing in spacesuits, mm -hmm. and in order for him to get the shadows that he needs, because he, he was very yeah. meticulous about how he painted, he, he would have us stand on the moonscape and shine lights on us to, from the angle of where, where you know, he felt the sun would be shining. And then he would uh, paint the shadows on the images. Wow. So we had to suit up in these spacesuits, which had no air conditioning and no heat. And the sun, the visor was attached. All that we could lift it up is just enough to get some air and breathe mm -hmm. right here. It was about like an, uh, an inch to an uh, inch and a half little gap where you could just raise the visor just enough to, to breathe and get some air coming in, and then you'd close it back down. And so we were posing in ways that space looked more natural, mm -hmm. you know, like we were shaking hands and high-fiving and, <laughs> you know, just doing things and walking like we were just talking, like walking down the street, that type of stuff. The suit was so hot. At one point, I fainted while I was standing Man. up there. I told Richard, I said, I'm going out, you know, and he's laughing because I was always joking with him. He goes, well, I'm going to go out too. And I said, no, I'm really, I'm about to faint. <laughs> Mills like telling him under the helmet and all of a sudden I just fell straight back. But I was in the suit, so it was, I didn't get hurt or anything. All right. Did Alan Bean paint a picture of that? No. <laughs> no. He did come up though. He was worried. Uh -huh. He was worried. He did come up and they took me out of the suit because the suit was uh, airlocked and so, you know, they had to unlock it and take me. I was sweating like, like crazy, and he, and he was standing. It was like uh, I, when I came to, I didn't, I didn't pass out for very long. It was very brief. Mm -hmm. Once they took the helmet off, I woke up. Alan Bean was, like, standing over me mm -hmm. when, they took the, when they opened the suit up. He was, like, looking down at me. <laughs> I want to thank my contributors, including Derek Sorrells, Chuck Daniels, Brad Overton, Ken Harris, Brandon Oaks, Mark McWilliams, Emma Buchanan, and Chickle Perriman. And if you're still in a nostalgic 80s mood, you might check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 133, where we talk about the book Ready Player One and use it to share stories of where its cultural references and our own personal lives intersected. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can find this podcast on iTunes, podbean.com, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you would like to send us some love letters, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. We'll see you next week. Whoa. Bye-bye.